Welcome to the Contrarian Marketing Podcast, where we give you ideas you might not be thinking about. Today, we're talking about onlining the Trader Joe's experience. Yes, I know I made that word up, but we'll talk about what it means. Kevin, good to see you. How's your week been? Good to see you, Eli. Week's been good, getting ready for a long trip, enjoying the summer weather, which is finally not too hot and not too cold. Aren't you in, you're in Michigan, it's like winter already. Is it snowing yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we already built snowmen and, and snow women and snow persons. And, you know, it's it's all fun. Kids are outside wearing thick jackets, scarves and all. I, I'm here with a little, you know, fire in my room. Fire, so, the, yeah. Fire in the hearth. Yeah, it's all, the whole thing. Yep, yep. That warm chocolate, you know, it's the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go to Europe, you'll get the real winter experience there. Aren't you living in California where there's no season? Yeah, there's spring and fall. We're currently in spring and we're going to move to, we're going to move to fall. Like how crazy evening. are the temperature swings from 70 to 72 degrees? Yeah, we, we had a heat wave in correct 90 for um, like two o'clock in the afternoon and then it went down. I remember what it's like when 65 feels cold when I lived in California. That's why all the, the tech companies give out sweatshirts as swag. <laughs> yeah. They give out t-shirts. No one wear them. Just like it's, it's sweatshirts. Yeah. And, and you, you know, just... a funny comment on swag. So we'll talk about our winners and losers in a second, but Meta rebranded. It probably cost them millions of dollars to re-swag all their employees <laughs> that, you know, each they're expensive. They don't buy like, you know, t-shirts from Timu for like $3 with free shipping. They're buying like North Face and, you know, North Face, even with a 20% discount is still costing them like, you know, 80 bucks a piece. And they got to outfit, you know, tens of thousands of employees. Cause like, how could they wear Facebook swag when? It's not Facebook anymore, it's Meta. Well, look, first of all, kudos to them because I've been recommending expensive swag for a long time and I think they're doing it right. Second, it's a year of efficiency. There is no more swag. There is no more swag. You can be oh, happy no, no. if you have coffee in the office, but all the snack bars and all the massages and the gyms and the laundry cleaners are all gone. I think these tech companies still still do quite a bit. Although Green Shoots, like interesting piece of data that hopefully is real. I have a friend, she's a recruiter and she's been laid off and she's now getting inbounds on LinkedIn. So from other recruiters? No, from like companies looking to hire recruiters. So like that's good. Like recruiters always the first to go and the first to come back because when you want to bring back your workforce, you hire recruiters. Or if you've raised some money, there's companies raising money. I mean, not many companies that don't end with dot AI. You know, some companies are raising money. Yeah, that's a new dot com. We've seen that story before, even though generally bullish on AI. We have some winner losers coming up. Why don't we just jump into that? So we're not going to get too political here, but Trump is definitely a winner because he was able to take a mugshot, which most people would consider to be negative, and turn it into a huge fundraising hall. And his first tweet, do we call tweets or X's? In his first Post? X. In, in two years where he just posted the mugshot and it's like, I'm back. So interesting. It's an interesting win. And, it, you know, clearly the guy is, knows how to harness rage and media. And we'll see what, how far that takes him. What do you got on the winner list? Got to give that one to you. Speaking of things that are annoying and we all want to go away, another poor winner is COVID. COVID back on the rise. People wearing masks again in some states, in some areas. People getting hospitalized again. So... Along with a disappointing summer to, to cover another, to cover maybe a loser, we see a rise in COVID and, 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 you know, we're all hoping that was over. Seems like that is coming back for, you know, to, at least to some level, maybe not shutdowns, but, you know, like you're the wrong side of this thing here. 
you're like on COVID side and calling them a winner. I would just say that people are the losers. You could say that. I guess the, the virus comes back and is winning. You know, as virus Trump, it's all the same. It's interesting that we have to do a whole episode on COVID, but that people care so much about COVID. Like there's so many worse things out there. Like, I don't know. Did you see about this tough mutter race they had in Sonoma County? They got 300 people sick. Mm, fun. Yeah. So like there's lots of ways to get sick and like COVID's not ideal. I think I've had it a couple of times, but I don't know. On the list of list of bad things that'll come and get you, I, I would take COVID over, I don't know, lots of other worse things. Well, for us, yeah. I think for older people and really young people, having a five, six months old is maybe a bit different. I just, I was just sick again, not again, but I'm sick for the first time in, I don't know, three years, had a light head cold. It was not dramatic at all. So that's another return. Probably COVID. <laughs> Probably COVID. But let's call out another winner here, which is Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, the most successful music tour ever. People can't get tickets fast enough, pay enough. They go multiple times and everybody says the show is absolutely incredible. I'm not a Taylor Swift listener really, but I, I, I want to call her out as a winner and, you know, as kind of the defining pop star probably of maybe probably this decade. I didn't see that coming. I, I thought you were a Taylor Swift fan. No. <laughs> Respect. Okay. But not, not my taste of music. Well, interestingly enough, so Levi Stadium, which is the stadium near me and where the 49ers play, they had Taylor Swift. And then right after, I have to look this up. They had a Colombian singer. Googling it. I'm, I'm Google, I'm ChatGBT real quick. And she broke the record for the most fans ever. So she beat Taylor Swift. What? Yes. Let me tell you the name. Shakira? No. Do you know any famous Colombian female singers? Oh, Carol G. Carol G? Yes. Carol G. Carol G. I listen to her music. A person named Carol from Colombia? K-A-R-O-L. Gee, I see it right now. She broke the record for the most fans for a female singer, I think, in Levi Stadium, which means that she beat out Taylor Swift, who also set a record. So I'm clearly not up to date anymore. And when I go so on Carol G's Insta, it's, fans. it's pretty crazy. Here, what is has a picture with Carol Kylie Jenner, but you can probably tell just from her Insta that she's probably going after a younger age group, which I'm not part of anymore because I'm getting old. It happens. It happens to the best of us. Cool. Let's talk about Meta. We both got Meta on our list. To me, it's a winner. And I'm saying that because Meta is an insane cash machine. And even with all the failed startups they have, and you know, there's a, it's not clear if Threats is going well or not, plus the metaverse and, and, and people hating Mark Zuckerberg more than Trump, maybe not anymore since Elon took that spot, but throughout all these troubles and tribulations, Meta has generated an insane amount of cash and should have been on any investor's list who is interested in value investing. So I'll give it to them, Meta, a winner. And I think they're a loser because they are investing so much into threads. And I think it's clear it's not working. So they've just launched the web app that didn't seem to move the needle. And they just launched search, which is a feature they should have had to begin with. But I think it's too late. So I think in, let's call this a personal feud in Zuck's personal feud against Elon Musk. I think he tried to seize whatever Twitter X had lost and built threads. 
And I don't think he's going to give up. But I think they've lost momentum. And now they're just going to have a product. Maybe they will overtake Twitter. But it, they've lost the momentum of having a good product that they can just coast. I think maybe they'll bring it back. They'll continue to invest in it. I, Zuck doesn't seem like the kind of person that gives up. I don't think they can give up like even six months. They'll keep at threads. But it'll be like, a, I think, a Google Plus ghost town until they come up with some other compelling reason for people to use it. What I do think is interesting is WhatsApp has been changing. We talked about WhatsApp in some prior episodes, which we should include in the show notes. WhatsApp's making some more changes and they've launched video me- messaging, like that you can, you know, instead of voice note, you can do a video note, which is kind of cool. And I think that Facebook or Meta is sitting on a cash cow with, with WhatsApp if they can figure out how to use it. So in, in China, WeChat is a super app. And if Meta can figure out how to turn what, WhatsApp into a super app, I think that could be interesting. Imagine an app where like you make payments or, cause I don't think you can make payments right now with WhatsApp. No. Where you can app where you can make payments, an app where you can book an Uber or order food. So none of that you can do. I think some of that stuff within your Facebook login and on Facebook, but you can't do that in WhatsApp. So I think WhatsApp, with the amount of users they have, and it's a mobile only thing, of course, there's potential for being super app. So I think they're over focusing on Twitter and Twitter's demise, and there's definitely a demise happening in Twitter. I think those users are probably migrating to all the Twitter clones and maybe to LinkedIn and maybe to Facebook, but they're not going to one place. So I don't think it's going to be threads. I'm not so sure, man. I think super app is the hill that Elon Musk is going to die on. I think there's no space for a super app in the Western hemisphere. The reason that there are super apps in Asian countries is due to very specific demographic circumstances and and how tech, how these countries grew up into tech. So I don't think it's a good idea. There are already apps that, like apps out there that do all of these things much, much better than one single app could do. And when you look at Google Trends, actually Threads has been up over the last seven days by 4%, which coincides with the launch of the web app. So let's see. The thing is, you know, they got 100 million users within days and that set them up for, that, those were expectations that it could have never fulfilled because there's no app on this planet that can acquire that many users and hold them for as long over time that is social. ChatGPT, different story. By the way, I don't think that ChatGPT is shrinking as so many people say, but that's probably for a different episode. But Threads, I think, is getting momentum. They're number three on the Google Play Store right now, as opposed to to X. And I think that Zuckerberg can swing it, but it will take a while. And they'll probably have a very deep integration with Instagram. I also think that the green path here for Threads, the way they can win potentially is but not making it a second Twitter. I think Twitter dies and has died with Twitter, but it will be Twitter-esque or Twitter-like, right? Where there is, it's, it's text-based, it's kind of, you know, there's not a too tight or narrow window in what you see based on who you follow, right? Like if you have both of these kind of feeds and it is culturally in the center. So we'll see how that plays out. I'm, I'm generally bullish, but you never know. Yeah, we should do a whole episode on this. You know, one last piece on this is Trump continues to be Trump on Truth Social, which is the Twitter clone that I think he helped create or uh, they created for him after he got kicked off of Twitter. So there's, I think it's a fragmented world that there's, I'm, I'm crazy that Truth Social still exists like two years later. So threads needs to be threads and Twitter needs to be Twitter. 
and you know LinkedIn needs to be LinkedIn. So let's see where everyone goes, and we don't need to clone each other. <laughs> but let's do a whole episode on this. We should definitely do this when back on. We'll talk about it, and in the meantime, I'll keep posting on Threads. Let's talk about big topic, and no one's gonna like it. No one's gonna notice. Yeah. So like keep always. at it. I mean, no one notices on Twitter X either. So eh, I don't know. Just stay I just on LinkedIn. Got Fifteen thousand impressions with my post yesterday. Do you post a mugshot? <laughs> Not yet, but it's just a matter of time. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's talk about onlining Trader Joe's. So give us some background on Trader Joe's, why we love Trader Joe's, and let's let's talk about how we can bring this kind of experience online. Trader Joe's we can. is a fascinating business. I was founded about 70-ish years ago, so late 50s, by a guy called Joe Colomb. And it was called Pronto Market Convenience Stores at the time. And then, fun fact, in 1979, so what is that, about 20 years later, a German, fellow German, bought the whole chain. And that German is is no no name. That German is Theo Albrecht, who is the founder of Aldi. Better said, Aldi Nord. So the story with Aldi, I'm not going to tell the whole thing, but essentially... There are two brothers who started the business. They got in a fight, and so they divided the, the the business into north and south. And that's why there's technically two Aldi companies. And the guy of who owns Aldi Nord, he bought Trader Joe's. By the way, also one of the richest people in Germany, or used to be one of the richest people in Germany. So that's super interesting. But when we look at the numbers and how the business is set up, it is nothing sheer of fascinating. In 2016, Fortune magazine estimated that, what's it called, that Trader Joe's has a much, much higher... Per, per per square foot sales number than Whole Foods. So they, they make about $1,750 of merchandise per square foot, which is double as much as Whole Foods. And Trader Joe's con- continuously gets the highest customer satisfaction scores from all grocery chains. What's interesting also about them is they have a whole kind of business model that facilitates all of these changes. So Generally, when you compare them with Whole Foods and Safeway, which I think is, is fairly comparable, you have, let's see, you have a total revenue from Trader Joe's of $13 billion compared to Whole Foods that has $16.5 billion, and Safeway has $51 billion. So Safeway is kind of a bit ahead of the curve, and Trader Joe's and Whole Foods are almost even in, in total revenue, which when you remember that Amazon paid, it was like $13.7 billion for Whole Foods, that means that Trader Joe's is is probably worth at least that. If not, you know, I would I would probably say if not even more. What's interesting though is that they don't invest a lot of marketing. So when you look at the percentage that the marketing budget has of total revenue, Trader Joe's spends only seven and a half percent of total revenue in marketing. Whole Foods thirty point four. You know, did you look at what they do for marketing? Because I don't even. Yes, I'm going to talk about that in a second. I think I ever see that. Why don't we jump into that? So Trader Joe's, their stores are set up to be, you know, very close to the community. So they they position themselves as pro-community stores with local products and, and kind of local marketing actions. They don't do any TV advertising, no print advertising. They barely do online advertising and they don't do any direct mail. So these are all typical things that other grocery chains do. They don't do none of that. But they have some quirky marketing stuff like the Fearless Flyer. Fearless Flyer is like a newsletter brochure, if you will, that is the quirkiest thing you can imagine. So Google Fearless Flyer, check out their landing page. It is, it is you know, it is very, very quirky. But they do, they get a lot of their attention just from the way that their stores are set up, right? So, and that's where we talk about the core of why TJ is so successful. One is 
they only have private level products. So, or the majority of their products, not only is probably a bit harsh, but majority of their products are private label, which then at the same time allows them to control price and availability and the whole supply chain, right? So they're very vertically integrated. They went down the value chain. And what I also learned in my research is they pay for, they pay in local currency. So apparently most grocery chains and businesses, they don't pay in local currency because they don't want to cover the risk of inflation or, or currency right. differences, but Trader Joe's does that. And then they also have a very curated selection. I mentioned like local products to, to kind of, you know, have that community feel. But they also very, as opposed to other grocery chains, they only offer a few products of the same kind, right? You go to a big grocery chain anywhere and you can buy 50 different tomato, like spaghetti sauces or whatever. Trader Joe's might have one or two or three at the max. And all these things have led to a very cult-like following. People get excited when new Trader Joe's open up. And again, it, it makes them kind of unique, has them stand out. And it means they can allow themselves to spend much, much less on marketing and also lower prices of their products much, much more. And they don't do any loyalty or, or discount actions, none of that. They just consistently focus on providing low prices, which we know from another large online retailer, or I would say not another, but from a large online retailer. And again, their whole business is based on low-cost, curated, community-friendly, word-of-mouth, and good atmosphere. So how do we bring this online? I think that's what we need to discuss. So one of the things that I think is in very interesting about Trader Joe's model is it bucks a lot of trends. They don't do delivery. So they, like during the pandemic, they did no delivery. They did no like partnerships with DoorDash, you know, no Instacart, like nothing. So like ev while everyone's saying, oh, you don't need to go to the store anymore. It's all about delivery. It's all about online depersonalizing Trader Joe's repersonalizes. Another thing that's very interesting that we're that Trader Joe's a bucks against a trend is that they have less items than most stores. So if you go into Trader Joe's, they have a handful of aisles and you go into a Safeway, they have dozens of aisles. Like, you know, you go ask her, hey, where's the deodorant? It's like it's an aisle 62, right? Or like Costco at the total other end of that extreme. And I was even thinking about this the other day. There's always this thing to do bigger. So like to use the word supermarket, like it's not a market, it's super. Where I remember the first time I was looking for a car and I drove, I think I drove a little bit further to a dealership that was called the Honda Superstore. And I'm like, oh, you just have more of the same cars because Honda only makes, you know, a handful of cars. So we're always looking for super because super means you have more choice and Trader Joe's does the opposite. They give you less choice. So when you go to Trader Joe's, the, the usually, let's say for vegetables or fruits, there's only a choice between regular and organic. And you go to like other ones, it's like, well, this is the Mexican lettuce and this is the Colombian lettuce and this is the American lettuce. There's too much. And you're like, but they're different prices. Everything at Trader Joe's is super transparent. Again, like, like you said, they've private label brands. So if you want like quesadilla, there's one quesadilla. That's all they're selling. It's their own private label. So. It's not that their model is so unique. It's that their model is the total opposite of everyone else's model. Again, like look at Costco. Costco is bigger and look how popular Costco is. I think you have a terrible experience or Walmart is all about having a ton of stuff. Churjo's has like, they don't have particularly late hours. They don't particularly early hours. They don't do delivery. They're very, very, like you said, very community driven. And all these other stores are all about not being community driven and being like, you know, self, even something like a self checkout, 
right? Like the Trader Joe's experience is so personal. There's, you know, I always thought it was funny and I, I, I didn't realize it was a Trader Joe's thing. So do you remember this? Do you have Trader Joe's where you live now? We do. Yep. Okay. So you know when you check out at Trader Joe's, they're always like, have you found everything that you were looking for? Yeah. Did they do that? Yeah. I, I never realized there was a thing. I just kind of, you know, I, I always heard it and I say, yes, I found it. I know I found too many things. Until I heard a comedian do an entire routine on the like, it was an old comedian. So he was bothered by that there was too much choice in, in the Trader Joe's. But you know, we'll, we'll chalk that up to his age. Because he's wrong. There's not too much choice. There's the opposite. <laughs> but so that was like, oh, they, that's, they really say that everywhere I've ever been. That they're trained to say, have you found everything you're looking for? But Trader Joe's is all about that personal experience. There's no self-checkout lines. Like every other store is like, how can we reduce the amount of employees we have and have self-checkout lines and stay open 24 hours? And Trader Joe's is like, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to have conversations. They have baggers. So the bagger is standing there and you'd have two people having a conversation with you. So it's not just, again, that their model is interesting. It's like their model is a total opposite of everyone else. So now bringing this back to what we do, like, let's talk about what do you think Trader or anybody could do to have this Trader Joe's experience online? Yeah. Virtual. Been, is that, is that possible at all? I think it's possible. And, and, and quick addition to what you said, you're absolutely right. Trader Joe's is known for, for compensating their employees above market and for really taking care of them, which then leads to this nice, relaxed atmosphere in the store, which leads to a better experience. And, you know, while we're talking about that, so how is that transferable to online retailers or online stores? Number one, focus on the quintessential, right? I think it's, a, it's critical for you to position yourself either as, as you know, on, on the low end of the market where you provide low prices and vast selection like an Amazon or high end of the market where you provide a small selection and at high prices, right? So, you don't, you'd want to get out of that weird middle where you can, you can mostly lose and then, and then focus and stick to really just that. The, the second one that I have is obviously curation. I think curation is the antithesis to most online models, which focus on selection and availability. And obviously Amazon has mastered that game and similar to Google, right? Like Google crawls the web. You can find anything on Google. But where do you go when you want to figure out what the best fashion blogs are or maybe the best sites to buy, I don't know, uh, a, a certain a certain product? Where are the curated experiences? Yeah, who kind of tried that? And it was obviously, you know, like, like they didn't have the the other part of the, the model, which is the like indexing the whole web, you know, uh, programmatically. But there, there were times when people focused more on, on curation. And I think that is a good counter move right now. So if I was an online fashion retailer, I would think about, okay, what are maybe, you know, instead of putting 50 products on my homepage, what are maybe the top three products I should put out there? Or can I provide curated categories where it's like, hey, these are products that are hand curated by our people and experts and fashion consultants. Here may be outfits that go together. And some retailers do that. And I think that's really the strategy to copy here is curation, tailored, bespoke experiences that are that fit perfectly to the people you actually target instead of trying to target everyone. I, I think that's right. I think there are a lot of curated sites that that do a great job. Like for example, many people in thinking about e-commerce might think there's and you give your Shopify experience, there's no space in the world for more e-commerce because Amazon already owns everything around e-commerce. And I don't think that's true. I think there's so many spaces where Amazon is not the leader because they are too big. Like think about B and H. So B and H, they, they sell, it's an actual store 
in Manhattan, but they online BH photo, BH photo video, whatever the site is, they, they sell online. They ship all over the world probably, but BH is the place that you're going to find a lot of products that are not sold anywhere else. So anybody that is in that space, and I'm not in that space, but I, when I've met with, you know, people ask me questions about digital marketing and B&H and why they're so successful and they're, they're in the photography, the video space, that's the site they'll go to. They don't go to Amazon. They go to that site because they know they'll get the questions answered. You know, it's not like B, it, it again, they're, they're e-commerce. So it's not like they even have it in the store. They just have the ability to source that product. So I think there are, there is always space for niche stores and, you know, niche offerings where you can be the expert and authority for that product. And I think that's what Trader Joe shows is you don't have to be the be all end all and you can bring that experience online. Another thing that I think is we can add when you think about online experiences, online is unfortunately about depersonalization. So how do I get you, show you the product that most people want, get it added to cart, get your credit card info, and then we're done. And then we, we separate it and then I'll add you to my email list. But I think what Trader Joe shows is when you go to the checkout and they say, have you found everything you need? And that, that's, I mean, I assume doesn't happen to me, but I assume it's a prompt for like, what did you forget? And they're like, oh, you know, I, I totally forgot like the, you know, the melon juice. And they're like, oh, I'll check you out and you'll go get like four jars of melon juice. So I, I think that's the prompt. So we see that online, but it's not personalized. What if the stores would allow you to check out and they, again, they always want you to check out. They allow you to check out, but then once you're done checking out, they might say, have you thought about getting these things? So you're not going to ruin that checkout experience because they've already checked out. But instead of the, you know, you go to some stores and like, oh, these are some great items. Like I just bought a camera. Why are you recommending olive oil? So try to repersonalize and have that same experience of like, this is what you've bought. Some other people bought the same thing, but do it post checkout. So you don't ruin that checkout. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, And like, where are the videos of experts who like, you know, like why is there no weekly five minute video on any store where they curate products? <laughs> like, I don't get it. Uh, that may, that's so repurposable. You can put that on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, on your website, in the newsletter, and you start building a community, right? And it goes back to something that Taylor, uh, that Trader Joe's does. Taylor Joe, that's the future Taylor, of Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift Joe's. <laughs> Taylor Joe. And, you know, that's my, that's my third tip is to, to think about how to foster and build that community. And I think it's even possible for some products that might seem boring at first or that, that people might not get super passionate about. But when you look at how many people post Instagram and TikTok videos about Trader Joe's products, it might open your eyes to how much more community you can actually build by being, you know, by, by being personable, by curating products, by helping people, highlighting maybe some members of the community. So these are all great things you can do. And then my number one, my number four would be to, to figure out how to stick out with marketing. But you made such great points, Eli, about how Trader Joe's does something that is opposite to best practices or what most companies do. And you want to think about what is that in, in your marketing? How can you position yourself and do something that that is counter to the common trend? Right? And it was like uh, I mentioned this, this fearless flyer of Trader Joe's, and maybe maybe it's that. Or maybe it's something completely different. But I think this whole idea of zigging when others, others zag is the way to stand out in a super noisy world. Yeah. And, and one thing that I think you can get out of like LLMs and ChatGPT and generative AI is that you can bring this personal experience online. 
with chatbots that are actually useful. So there's so many websites that have chatbots that are not useful. You know you're talking to a chatbot, but there, if you look at ChatGPT and Bard and the other LLMs that exist, it, it could almost be like, it, and I'm sure you saw the news about there are people marrying chatbots. Have you seen that? Oh, what? Yeah. You know that movie, Her? Yeah. The, Great movie. Yeah. So, so the Her is a thing now. You, everyone can have your own Her or him or whatever you want with <laughs> ChatGPT because it, it's almost personable. They almost have like emotions. So instead of having these generic, boring chatbots on websites, you can have these chatbots where you could talk to the chatbot. Let's say it's, let's say it's, it's a food, it's a grocery store. You, and this is something you do. I've seen this in Trader Joe's. I've seen Trader Joe's employees walk customers around and help them put together their dinner. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the prompt, right? We're calling this prompts now, but I don't know the prompt, but it might have been like, you know, this woman says, oh, I'd really like to make something with a salad and I, I need like a protein on the side. And before you know it, like the Trader Joe's employees walking around, here's some fish, here's this salad, here's this dressing, like that. I watched that happen. So couldn't you do that online with an LLM or the, the, you know, a useful chatbot, which says like, Hey, I want some, you know, this is how many calories I want. This is my budget. And he could help put that together for you instead of the way most chatbots are like, what can I help you with today? And he said, I'd like dinner. And like, here's a great article written by our content team on dinner. And then was that helpful? Yes. No, no. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll try to do better next time. What's your next question? Right? Like that's the way the chatbots are now, but you can personalize that experience like Trader Joe's with useful chatbots. So I think that's something stores can learn. It might not be scalable to like, you know, again, imagine a, a world where you click a button and then it says, instead of the virtual employee, you have an actual employee join your, your Zoom or jo- like just pop up and talk to you. Like you always go on the sites are like, oh, we're available 24 seven. All that it, that live chat is like with intercom, it's just, it sends an email and you think you've sent something. Then why do you want to know my email if you're available 24 seven? But what if you could actually do that first, like not scalable with an employee, but if you could do it with an employee, that'd be great. But you could do that, certainly do that with an LLM chatbot. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the time is ripe. You could even upload some pictures of other people you've seen or celebrities who wear a great style and like give, recommend me some for like like them and make it $80 or whatever, right? And, and that is within reach. It is not yet perfectly reliable, but if I if I can go out of my way and make a prediction on this podcast, I think in the next six to twelve months we'll see these recommendation chatbots that do an incredible job and will blow our brains, and the customer experiences will get a lot better. So, very curious about who will be first to to provide that type of experience, and you know who my front runner is. Who's that? Unexpected Google? Amazon. My, my, my projection, my prediction, maybe also projection, projection is that in the next six to 12 months, we'll see the number one shopping assistant coming from Amazon doing an incredible job recommending people the right products and everybody else will touch their foreheads, slap their foreheads and be like, what the freak? Yeah. Well, I think that we have to see the industry go in that direction first to try to use chatbots to be helpful. And right now, I think the, the, the consensus around generative AI is that you can get rid of employees and depersonalize and save money. And I think the idea around generative AI should be to repersonalize and maybe not save money, but like generate more revenue. So 
we'll get there. But let's let's wrap up with you know any any quick announcements and anything any upcoming travel anything you're doing interesting that you want to share. Yeah, man. Actually, next week we're flying over to Europe on Wednesday, and we're gonna spend actually a whole month over in Europe. And we're gonna do things like family visits. We're gonna go to the SEO Oktoberfest conference, which is oh wow, yeah, probably the the number one conference that I have to go to every year. And we're gonna go to Italy, Tuscany for wedding planning next year. And then we're going to spend some time at Oktoberfest. So it's going to be a wild ride. I feel a little bit of fear as somebody who has worked his butt off over the last, what, like 15 years to take a month pretty much off. I'll do some light work here and there, but not much. So it gives me the heebie-jeebies. But altogether, man, we're just pumped for family vacation, seeing lots of new impressions, probably gaining a couple of pounds of weight and drinking lots of Italian wine, man. What do you got coming? No, I did the opposite. I already did my vacation. I would say like what you have to worry about your vacation is, is that it's, it's addictive and you're going to want to do this all the time. And you, yeah, I, I predict more vacations in your future when you realize that this is what life is about. It's not, not about stressing and work. You know, you work for yourself now. You control your own income. So if you choose not to work because you want to be on vacation, that's your choice. When you, you have a job, that's not your choice. And not that it, this is the right thing for everybody. But uh, I do think everyone should have more autonomy over their happiness and their level of stress. There, there's someone I, I know who's in the process of, of getting laid off because a, a company, she works for a large public company, a company bought her company and her job, it will not exist in a month from now, like when they join the two companies. And she's beyond stressed with all the work she has to do. And I'm like... I. That doesn't ring true with me. If you know your job's disappearing, you're not getting a raise, you're certainly not getting a 2023 bonus because you're not going to work there anymore. I would, I don't know that I would be the type of person to put in 20 hour days. I would be the person that would probably clock in, clock out and make sure I'm spending time getting my resume out there because she does not have anything lined up. So that's, that's the thing you learn when you work for yourself is that you, it is yourself. Like you get to set your own goals and you know, obviously we, you certainly have people that are your boss, your family is your boss, and your clients tell you what to do. But you can choose those bosses rather than one boss chooses you and that's what you have to do. So I think you'll get addicted to it. And I, I fear for the future of our podcast. <laughs> but but we, have, we should we, we talk about our other little announcement? Let's just, we'll briefly mention it. You want to, you want to, you want to, okay, if, if we mention it, let's do it as high level as you possible to not take away our thunder, because when I come back, you and I, were going to go to town. We've got something cooking. All right, so we'll whisper it. We're going to make a course. If you have any quite, any any ideas for us, just let us know. Course on going on vacation. Course on going on vacation. That's going to be the first course. With that being said, my man, thank you as always. We'll be back in about four weeks. But when you hear this, we'll probably have caught up, meaning you shouldn't have any break. Maybe maybe week tops, but no break between episodes. So thank you all for listening. As always, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss you, Eli, and everyone else. But until then, peace out. Have fun. 